Hi, and welcome to Walk Talk, a podcast courtesy of the Wound, Ostomy, and Continence Nurses Society. Walk Talk is your opportunity to learn more about advocacy, education, and research that support the practice and delivery of expert healthcare to individuals with wound, ostomy, and continence care needs. Please visit wocn.org slash podcast to subscribe and make sure you never miss an episode. Now, here's your host, Jody Scardillo. Welcome to this week's edition of Walk Talk. I'm your host, Jody Scardillo. This week, I'm delighted to welcome Dia Kent to our episode. She has just taken office after the last conference as our 23rd president. Thanks so much for joining me today, Dia. Thank you. I'm excited to have you here. So first of all, I want you to tell us a little bit about your experience as a WOC nurse before you became president of our society. Certainly. Thank you for the opportunity to do this. I'm really looking forward to talking with you today. So I've been a nurse for a long time. I've been a nurse since 1988, but I've been a WOC nurse since 2000. So that makes year 21 this year. And actually, it was in the fall when I took my exam. So this is actually a renewal year for me. So I've been working on my PGP points like everybody else, like all good nurses do. And when I started in 2000, it was interesting. In my little town in Indiana, there was an ET nurse. She was a a nurse and she was also an interstitial therapist. And of course, she was of the of the population that had an ostomy. So her name was Evelyn and Evelyn was retiring and I had just become a nurse. And it was so interesting. I had gotten some information about being an ET and I thought this sounds pretty interesting, but I was a newlywed in 1988 and I couldn't bear the thought of leaving my husband for so many weeks at a time. And so I didn't think about doing that again, but you know what? Evelyn was retiring close to 2000 and there was no one to take her place. And so I got the opportunity again to go to wound school. And so I did. And so she was so proud. She's still kicking around. She's retired, but she loves, loves that I'm taking care of things here in this area of the country where we live. So I worked at a long-term acute care hospital and an acute care hospital, and I've opened a couple of wound centers I was privileged to open a new hospital. That was a cool experience. And right now I see people locally and by like phone and telephone as a WOC nurse, nurse practitioner, and I teach now. So I am the director of the Family Nurse Practitioner Program at Indiana University here in Kokomo. So I've had quite a journey. It's been really, really fun. And you've done a ton of different roles for the WOCN Society. So will you tell us a little bit about the roles? And then I want to know which one is your favorite, but you can't count president because you're just starting that. (laughs) Yeah. I have had a lot of roles. I served regionally or, you know, down at my region, which is the Mideast region, the original region, I might point out, where Norma Gill was. So I started there and I had some great exposure to the regional activities And I have done a lot. When I got involved at the national level, I'll not forget, it was with the professional practice committee and some of my now very good and old friends were on that. In fact, Bev Folkadal, some people will remember Bev and of course, past president Phyllis Koopsik, they were definitely involved and it was such a fun committee. I was so scared to talk. I was like, oh my gosh, what do I do? 
But it was actually, I think, Margaret Goldberg when she was president that I have to give credit to for giving me my very favorite job. My very favorite job in the WOC in society was that of first membership task force chair and then membership committee chair. It was awesome. It's a kind of a funny story the way I got that job. So back in those days, strategic planning sessions were held. They're always held. They're held every year. They still are held. And uh, that particular year, the region and affiliate presidents were invited to come and the then president actually couldn't go. And so she said, Dia, would you be able to go? And I said, sure. So I was so excited to go. I didn't know what happened at the strategic planning session. I was nervous. And then when I walked in, I saw these ginormous role model people, these big mentors, people whose books I read, like, you know, Dorothy Doty and you know, Elizabeth Aiello and just a lot of people, just lots to me to mention. I was pretty awestruck. So we were assigned a seat and I took my seat and I wish I could tell you who I was sitting with because I just was so, I was starstruck. And so I, I could say my name, thankfully, when asked for introductions. But then after that, you know, it's a dialogue session, but I just was more like a sponge and believe it or not, I had nothing to say, which is a remarkable miracle in itself. And so Margaret was president. And so I wasn't talking much. And they were talking about membership. And they were going back and forth. And, you know, everyone's passionate. Everybody has ideas. But Margaret Goldberg and her little self got right in that microphone and said, Dia Kent, I brought you here to say stuff, not be quiet. (laughs) What do you have to say? And I thought I might die right then. Somehow, I didn't die. And out of that came the fact that I was asked to, you know, to lead this new membership task force, which was wonderful. It was a dream team. There are some great people on that, that I still cherish that experience. And we were so successful. It was wonderful to be able to start to talk to individual members, which was how we approach things and, and to see the membership grow. To now see it at well over 5,800 is very gratifying to me, not because I did that, but because we planted seeds, that's legacy work to me, which is really important. That's one of my favorite, favorite things that I've done. Probably close second would be abstract coordinator. I feel like no matter what, that may never leave me now. And I love that. It was great to be able to see what people were doing and then eventually to begin to mentor people as they were doing poster abstracts. And that was good. So those have been my two favorite. You asked for one. Those are close to, and hopefully being president number 23 will come right in there, top rank too. Good. So, you know, we all think of presidents as running meetings and, you know, sending out emails and that kind of thing, but I'm sure there's a lot to this job. So tell us, now that you're kind of up and running in the presidential role, what's in your day-to-day work like as far as running the society? I know we have a great management company that helps us, but I'm sure that there's a lot of things you do. So will you explain a little bit about that? Sure. So I am not quite or about a month into it, I guess. And so there is more to it than you can think of. As president-elect, you attend a lot of meetings. And then when president comes, you can tell your president-elect to attend all those meetings so that you don't have to be everywhere. But there are still a lot of things to do. So on a typical day, really, in our day and age, there are many emails, many emails a day, I would say. You know, what has been great is this time with this presidency, one of the things that we have done, which has not been done before, was 
So presidents all have had emails since we've had email, but usually you just set up an email. Like I could have been president Dia at yahoo.com if I wanted to. But one of the things that I asked and that we worked through was should the president's communication, you know, ever be called into court, then would it be better to have the president's email aligned with the management company? And the answer is yes, it should be. And so I'm the first one to have that. So by the way, if you'd like to reach out, I am the initial D, K-E-N-T at W-O-C-N dot O-R-G. So with being in that email system, it's just like you being at work in your email system. So I have the ability to have instant chat if I want or they might want to have instant chat with me from the national office. But my calendar is in there for both work and the society. So if we have meetings to schedule, they can see my availability. So a lot of efficiency versus going back and forth. But a typical day may include a lot of emails and some phone calls during the day. There's a fair amount of, quote, business that is done during the day versus at night when most of our committee meetings are held. So I will say that to this point, there's about 20 hours or so a week easily probably involved by the time you use your brain and do your typing and, and all that stuff. But it's been great so far. And the, the national office is wonderful to work with. We have great staff there and they have been very helpful. We have gotten a lot of work already started. So I'm really happy about that. Good. So you hit the ground running. Sure did. Okay, good. And if you ever get a day off, what do you usually do on that day off? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if I do. So, you know, one of the things that I, I don't know, except, you know, I have a little four-year-old. So often my day off involves the zoo or he doesn't call a swimming pool a swimming pool. He calls the local public pool the pool station. So we might go to the pool station or we might just be out messing around with the neighbor kids. He's recently started just this week playing t-ball. He keeps me really busy. And of course, I'm expecting my first grandbaby. So more recently, decorating and helping my daughter get ready for her baby and things like that. If I just have grown-up time, then I really enjoy hanging out with my grown-up friends. And so recently we went to a local fair where I saw one of my friends from kindergarten has a, a band. He plays in a band. Oh. And so we listen to him. So anything fun, anything adventurous, I'm up for it if we can squeeze it in. Great. And so speaking of adventure, tell me a fun fact that most people don't know about you. Everybody's got one. So tell me yours. Well... Some people do know this, but many people may not know that I actually played in a rock band with a bunch of doctors, surgeons, as a matter of fact. And so our name is the Smooth Operators. And while we don't play much right now, we really have gigged in the past and it's pretty fun. I would say the other thing is I have a real knack for meeting famous people. And I really like that I meet famous people, but I'm real cool, like a cucumber. Like I don't make a big deal about it. But on the inside, I'm like, oh my gosh, there's, and then so I'm just like real cool. I like to do that. I think that's it. And I'm a real nerd. Like I'm a musician. So, you know, we're recording, but we're doing this with visuals. So if they could see, they would see my piano behind me, like you all always do on our board meetings. And so I play a lot of instruments 
including a very unusual instrument, an auto harp, which is often used in bluegrass. And as I'm not a bluegrass fan. My dad one time bought me an auto harp when I was younger and I taught myself to play it. And I taught myself the first instrument I learned to play was the clarinet. And I learned to read music and did the clarinet before I took piano lessons. Some people do it the other way, I think, right? I know. I know. I know. Wow. So you have a lot going on. So now I'd love to know what made you decide to run for the presidency of our society. You've had a lot of roles. You've been really involved. And what was it? Was there a certain thing or did you always want this? Or tell us a little bit about how that all happened. You know, I, I'm not sure how it all happened eventually, but it's no secret that I ran for president three times, being unsuccessful in my first two bids. The reason that I ran for president the first time was because I had been so active. I felt like I knew a lot about the society. I felt like there would be no greater honor than to serve the members in that way. I felt like we had great people, a great management company that while no person is an island and the president doesn't run the organization by him or herself, that that would be an environment that I was comfortable in, that I really wanted to serve people in that way. I just really wanted to. When I was the membership chair, I so enjoyed listening to what people had to say and trying to find ways to make things better and ways to make people feel more connected and to to just serve the members in whatever way came up. And that was the reason I ran the first time. And that was the reason I ran the second time. And then I was done running. I was done. I figured that I needed to just hang out and just do whatever WOC members do, which is whatever comes their way, comes to mind. But I decided after being asked that the reason that I ran the first time was still a very viable, valid, and living reason in my heart and so as a person of faith after some prayer and talking to a lot of good friends i chose to run again and now here we are so my pleasure my desire is to serve the members to find ways to help us to be better as people nurses as society what do we need to do to get more connected what do we need to do to message our value what do we need to do to continue to proliferate our specialty, to meet this ever-changing, ever-changing environment. And who knew we would have a year like we've had with COVID. And there are just so many opportunities. So I'm happy that I'm the president. I will tell you in the days to come to sort of take the reins, I was like, oh my gosh, what? No, this I'm not qualified. I can't do it. And then I remembered it isn't just about me. And we have a great board of directors, great committee chairs, great members, great management company. So I might be the president, but in reality, I'm just facilitating a bunch of great, great people who do a lot of great thinkology all by themselves. That's great. And so what are the most important the things that we're, the society is working on currently as far as initiatives and, and all that? Can you talk about that a little? Sure. There are a lot of initiatives already sort of on the table. Of course, we have been doing some active publishing with, as a board with COVID documents, including one that will come out pretty soon, actually in the next issue of JWOC. And I know one just came to your mailbox probably in the last week or so, but in the very next issue, 
there'll be an article on COVID skin manifestations and kind of trying to name those and what do we do about that. And so, you know, we are always interested in what do we need to do to help and empower the members in relation to COVID. You know, COVID may or may not be, quote, over, unquote, and there may or may not be Delta variants or whatever going around. But, you know, I think we're going to see effects of COVID for a long time. And I think we're just starting to see some literature. I think we saw last year literature of the lived experience. We need something out. Let's get it out kind. And then I think now in the time to come, we're going to see some meaty documents, maybe even for members in our society about that. One initiative that we haven't done any talking about, but is something that is on my mind and on the forefront is the whole issue or issues that surround diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so talking with Nicolette Zueka, our chief staff officer at the management company, or whatever her current title might be, I might not be calling her the right thing. We are going to actually begin work on what I call a DEI committee. I mean, we need to do that. We have to. I think that we have a lot of activities that we want to do. I don't know what our approach will be, but it is going to be a topic that we will speak about at strategic planning session, which is in September. And just so everyone knows, strategic planning session is an open to sort of the board of directors come and Dr. Gray with the journalism invited and many of the committee chairs. We did this year SWOT analysis with all of our committees, with select committee people and some other thinking partners to try to really get a grip on the environment. So I think strategic planning session is going to be a huge initiative, which will birth where we're going now for at least the next 12 months. Because, you know, in the old days, of business, you could strategically plan for three to five years. I don't think you can do that anymore. I'm not even sure you can look much past about a year or so for things to change. And I think we've just seen that through our lived experience. So DEI is very important. We also have a quality initiative regarding QI. So many of our members would have already gotten the survey about QI. We've got a committee that is being led by Dr. Joyce Pittman, that will be giving us some recommendations moving forward from their committee about what initiatives or steps we may need to take to not just prove the value of the WOC nurse, but but what other indicators around that. Because I think we've got to make sure that we're not one-dimensional in any of our thinking. We need to be 3D, 4D, multi-dimensional in how we approach all of our problems, multi-pronged and multifaceted. And so, you know, what will that bring forth? Also very exciting. We're doing work with regions and affiliates. Past President Stephanie Yates wanted to have a regional and affiliate summit in March of 2020. And that did not happen because COVID decided to arrive then and our country shut down. Well, in this year, we did have a region and affiliate summit via Zoom, and we know that there are issues that we need to work on for connectivity, communication, just all kinds of things. And so out of the region and affiliate summit came a task force of region and affiliate presidents. And so they are working very diligently to come up with some recommendations, again, to bring to strategic planning session about what strategies might we employ to do things for regions and affiliates for us as a national organization. What do we need to do 
to improve communication, improve relationships, give people what they need, get us what we need at the national level. Because actually we are responsible at the national level for all the regions and affiliates. And to a large standpoint, I think the thinking is here at the region affiliate level, we do our thing and we may have to report a few things to the national office, but we're separate, but that's not true. And so there's a fair amount of work, very important work that needs to be done at that level. So I'm really, really excited to see what that committee has to say, that task force has to recommend. And those are a few things, and we're just getting started. (laughs) Sounds like you have a long list. What about promoting the WOC role to policymakers and payers? I know that advocacy is one of the arms or pillars of the society. So what are your thoughts on that? I know we have a really strong public policy and advocacy team, but can you talk a little bit about what's going on with that? I can talk a little bit. Sure. Kate Lawrence, who is a past president of the society, is the chair of the Public Policy and Advocacy Committee. We meet monthly. And we also have like a consultant named Chris Rorick, who actually lives and works in Washington, D.C. and helps us with all of those things, works hand in glove with Kate. There are are many things. Public policy is a very dynamic being because what happens with public policy and advocacy, PPNA, is there'll be a lot going on and then it's very quiet and then poof, it's like a volcano of policy things happen and it erupts again. So, There have been various initiatives that we have been working on through that committee. There is an ostomy bill of patient rights that we were asked to give input on. We do a fair amount of collaborative work with other organizations like the American Society of Colorectal Surgeons, the Wound Care Alliance. You know, there are things that we're all mutually interested in. And so, Kate keeps track of all that and keeps us aware. We could not, I could not be aware of PPNA issues without her. And it is at her direction that we know and at Chris's direction that we know what's happening and when we need to move and when we are just in a hold pattern. From the PPNA standpoint, I think that we need to do a better job of getting word out to our members more quickly. That is a goal of mine. You know, the thing about PPNA is we don't have a lot of lead time. It is a hurry up and wait situation with politics, right? So suddenly there's something and they want an answer yesterday and we want to get out to our membership so that they can write their senators and write their congressmen and all that. So it's a quick acting committee. And I know Kate's heart would be that we have a very active public policy committee in every region and affiliate or a point person that's always taking care of the local areas too. But there are many topics. Of course, currently and hot off the press today, which by the time our members hear this, they'll already have this information, is that we with the ANA signed on to advocating for the COVID vaccine for hospitals and healthcare agencies, which is important you know, we've all seen firsthand what COVID can do. And so those are some of the activities. There are many. As a matter of fact, we have a public policy and advocacy meeting, committee meeting tonight. There is always a long agenda. Kate manages us with spreadsheets and I don't know how she does it. I mean, it is an art form and I take my hat off to her. We could not do it without her. Yeah, she's amazing. 
So tell me a little bit about, I know you are very in touch with a lot of our members. What's going on or what have you seen with the pandemic related to the average WOC nurse? Are there effects to people's jobs or, or what kind of stuff have you heard from people you've been chatting with? So WOC nurses are busier than ever with the pandemic. And, you know, I think in the thick of it, we all can understand and know that there is just a lot of PPE nightmares going on with our peers that we never thought we would see, but also resources changed quickly. So I and my colleagues may have been the WOC nurse in the hospital or part of a team, and we may have found ourselves working as staff nurses. We may have felt that skin manifestations while real were, were being overlooked in favor of respiratory difficulties. And, you know, we all know that everything is important. How do you balance it all? We saw WOC nurses get laid off, lose their jobs because of reallocation of beds, monies, lack of monies. And we saw a lot of people just get really burned out. And that's across the board with nursing and all of the health professions, I think. So now I think that we're faced again with what is the sequelae of COVID? Well, some people return to their jobs by now. Some people have begun to work elsewhere. Hopefully no WOC nurse decided to abandon the specialty. I don't know of anyone that did. But not everybody's job returned to baseline. And so in some ways, we are going to need to re-empower and re-energize our members to, you know, advocate for what has been lost and to get it back because we all know that what we were doing before is more important if I mean easily more important now that we're continuing to see these COVID manifestations on the skin. We still have ostomy patients that don't have access to a WC nurse even though you know they had one before. And for the people who had one before that don't have one now and they're having ostomy problems, I mean, we have our end users, our clients, our consumers, our patients that are feeling the ill effects of some of the decisions that hospitals were forced to make. And while I cannot armchair quarterback any of those decisions, I am really hoping and I feel confident that administrators do know that they need the WC nurse and I'm hoping that they will restore the roles fully. As an organization, we want to do what we need to do, what we can do to meet the needs of our WC nurses who need to re-advocate for their roles. And so we have some resources available on our website and things, but I want to hear from people if they're having unique challenges, because often if one person has experienced this particular challenge, so is someone else. So if there are some unmet needs, I'd really like to hear what they are so that we can meet them. Because while I wish my ESPN worked all the time, it does not. And so I think I'd like to hear from members who are still having difficulties so that we understand where everyone is. Not all pockets of the country are the same. So what I see in the Midwest is not necessarily what they see in the Northwest or the Southeast. And so I'm very open to hearing how we can help our members who are still feeling the effects of that awful year. Okay, great, great. So now we've had two redesigned conferences that were virtual. So what did you think about those? And where do you think we're going with the whole conference thing in the future? 
Well, number one was a pivot within about six weeks. And so, Jody, you and I serve on the board. We, as a board, met weekly for that whole pandemic year via Zoom. I mean, I think we spent more time with each other than perhaps <laughs> some of our family that we couldn't see. True. Yeah, that's true. We were Zooming with each other. I don't know. It's, it's crazy. I think, first of all, I know it's been said before, but let me stop and say Brooke Passy, superhero of the universe, and her team really did a great job in pivoting that first conference. And you know what? Frankly, we did pretty stinking good considering that we had about a six-week pivot or so. And we did great. We had a good platform, you know, we had our webinar platform basically, and it worked pretty well. But man, what a difference a year makes. That was slick. How about that magic guy at the next conference? The magic guy and going and being able to table jump with people. I felt like I was like at Studio 54 in the 80s. I mean, I was like, what? It was awesome. It was so good. It was so sophisticated. And so while I feel like neither conference sacrificed any quality of education, I really thought the second conference enhanced sort of that relational experience that we look forward to when we were in person. And so I thought that was pretty stinking cool. What I hate about both conferences is that we couldn't offer, you know, the full variety of what was intended for all speakers, all sessions. You know, usually we come to conference in person and we've got, you know, three or four sessions at any point to choose from. And of course, that was better this time. But still, we had a narrow window. We can't expect people to stay on Zoom for, you know, a week. So, you know, we still had to sacrifice some of that. So to come, Fort Worth 2022, I am hoping, hoping that it will be in person. And we do know that we will be offering some kind of hybrid conference. So I don't know what that means. You know, we've been fairly hybrid for a long time. We've been offering virtual conference sessions for a very, very long time. I remember the first year we ever did that, I think we might have offered like two or three of the general sessions streaming. And, you know, there was a hamster running with the AOL guy behind the scenes. And, you know, we, we got it done. So actually for a really long time, we've been doing kind of a hybrid conference. And now here we are post-pandemic with a bunch of technology. What are we going to do? We're going to do some hybrid stuff. The National Conference Planning Committee will meet in August, about a month from now, and we'll be discussing the conference. We are so, so stoked to be able to have a joint conference with WCET, the World Council of Interstitial Therapists. When we were in Phoenix many years ago, we had a great time. It was awesome to hear about colleagues from around the world and their practice, and they were fascinated to hear what we had to say, and it was a great dialogue. And for that reason, come to Fort Worth. Please come to Fort Worth. It's going to be awesome. But for those folks who can't, we're confident to offer some good hybrid options. Just don't know what those are yet because we haven't started nailing them down yet. But if I haven't said so, come to Fort Worth. It's going to be awesome. I'm so excited and I will be so happy to see people with their skin on. When my little boy is barefoot, he says he has his feet on. So I'm ready to see all the people with their persons on and I'm ready to fist bump, high five, hug, do a little dance, whatever needs to happen. I'm so excited to see people. So I'm really looking forward to 22 and I'm really hoping that we can execute a live conference. 
I think a lot of us are. It's been a long time for sure. So you're known by a lot of your friends and colleagues as an amazing mentor. So I want to know who your mentor was or mentors. Golly, the who, there are many who's. You know, when we're talking about WSC stuff, I have to mention Dorothy Doty. Like, is she everybody's mentor? Question mark, rhetorical question. Dorothy Doty, I love her. She, man, she's amazing. I'm an Emory grad, proud of it. And she was just great. You know, Janice Colwell is, I feel like one of my mentors, she wouldn't probably say so, but I think she is. When I first met her, I, you know, again, I was, I had to put my mouth back up and look all cool and stuff, but I was like, wow, what? Jane Colwell, I know her. Because, you know, she was working on a book and she was working on her first book. And I was like, she's working on the first book. I'm so excited. That was so exciting to me. You know, my mentor that I've never met is Florence Nightingale. You know, I'm a huge Florence fan. One of my friends several years ago got me a t-shirt that I still have that says, has her picture on it, Florence Nightingale, and says, what would Flo do? You might see that at the Fort Worth conference. You could come and see if I wear that. I love that shirt. You know, I have had great people in my life, great nurse mentors, great leaders, I think about other WC nurses like Beth Folkadol. She's been a great mentor to me. You know, all the past presidents that I've mentioned, I've learned something from everybody. Dr. Gray, Michael Gray has been a great mentor. He's funny. When I was a master's prepared nurse, I had this idea about a study. And so it was my little naive idea. And by golly, it ended up being an RCT. And I'll not forget, he said, you have just put yourself through PhD school. You jumped into the water on the deep end. What were you thinking? It was awesome. So there are many WFC nurse mentors. And I've had some really great other people in my life, my mom and my dad and, you know, my good friends. I try to learn something from everybody. I am a person that subscribes to you should be mentoring others and you should have a mentor at the same time. And I feel like currently one of my mentors is my dean. I'm a new academian, only two years. That's a real different world. So trying to navigate that world, her name is Sue. She's great. So those are a few, but I could go on and on because I have many mentors. So many, I couldn't possibly mention them in this time. Okay. So what do you do if you are looking to find a mentor or you want to be a mentor? Do you have anything, things that have worked for you? Like at times you needed one or you saw that somebody maybe could use one. What what do you think about that? Well, for me, because I feel like I need mentoring a lot, I have a lot of questions. I think that that's the first thing, knowing that you have questions and finding someone who can answer your questions. Now, there's a difference, I guess, between a formal mentor and a question answerer. But what I have found is that if you get a really good question answerer, they end up being a mentor. And it's a natural process. There are people that formally say, I'm a mentor and I want to mentor you. And that's great. I think that those formal relationships can certainly happen. I think that to be a mentor in a formal fashion, it's always great to become a little more educated about mentorship and how to be a mentor. If you're going to have that formal, I'm a mentor, I'm seeking mentees relationship. But for me, I just have been fortunate. Now I'll tell you, I think you learn something from everybody. 
So even the worst boss I've ever had mentored me into how not to be a really bad boss, right? And so I think that learning is what you make it. To be a mentor, we're always looking for mentors. I think that we have to really understand that none of us know everything, but some of us, all of us know something. So for example, you know, before our podcast started, Jody, you and I were talking about sewing. So my mom is a great seamstress, but I don't sew very well at all, but I want to. And so pretty soon I'm hoping that after the grandbaby comes and some things slow down that my mom can help teach me to sew. So she's a natural mentor to me. If I wanted to learn about golfing, I would have to call a golfer and ask some questions. But as far as being a mentor to other people, that's a very kind compliment. That's very kind. I love that people feel that I can add to them somehow. I think that it's a pretty one-sided relationship. I think I probably get more out of it than they do. But I'm always happy to be a resource for people. Sometimes to be a mentor, all you have to do is to know how to do something even once. I told my nursing students the other day, in the old days, you know, we were a C1, do one, teach one in medicine and nursing, right? Some of us are seasoned enough that we actually put NG tubes in each other. We shot each other with hypodermics, all kinds of crazy stuff. That was the mentoring we got. And so from that adage, if you found someone who's done something before you, a poster, let's say, and you think, man, I think I want to learn how to do a poster. Well, you can call someone who's also done a poster. Even if they've only done one, they can give you some insight about what they did that did or didn't go well. And then if you want some more formal mentoring, they probably can say, and hey, my friend, Jody, she's done a ton of posters and she's been the abstract coordinator. So call her. So I think that, you know, it's just a natural relationship. I think sometimes people think too hard about it. And I just think that we just need to be because we all have something to offer. And that's what I think about mentorship. Interesting that you bring it up. I will be talking about mentorship in the conference at the Northeast region in the fall. They asked me to do something on mentorship and I'm going to be talking about that. And how do you connect with all the different generations that we currently work with, right? Because we have some baby boomers that are still working a lot of baby boomers who are still working and we have millennials and we have Gen Xers and we have helicopter people and we've got all kinds of people who have all kinds of names. So how do we figure out a way to mentor all those people who have slightly different work ethics, slightly different languages, slightly different value systems, but yet we might be the seasoned one or we may be the one who is in a new place that needs mentoring from a younger person. How do we accept that? So I'm going to be talking about that. That's an interesting topic. And I think all of us see that on a daily basis, right? And so I was on the WOCN Society website the other day, and I noticed that there's a lot of offering on empowerment and self-care and career development that's newer. So I wanted to just mention that and have you talk about that a little bit in case maybe some of our listeners hadn't been there and hadn't seen all of that. So I wondered what was there and what you think about all of some of those strategies that you like for yourself. So the whole empowered, the empowered 
idea is to really do just that, empower our members. So leadership skills, career development are very important. So nurses, we go to school, we learn how to take care of people. We do it because we felt like we wanted to help people in some way. So we went to nursing school. And so here we are. We may have had a management class in nursing school, but we probably were exhausted and were trying to graduate. And so may or may not have taken anything from that class. And so, you know, a good clinical nurse does not translate into a stellar clinical manager or a clinical leader or someone who even knows what to do, who has a desire to get to another point other than, you know, where they started. So we have a fair amount of resources on all the things you just mentioned, and they're readily available to our members. But we also have a new leadership offering. I don't know if this will make the CEC or not. We'll see. We haven't had a conversation around that. But there was a group of the board of directors who developed an educational session on basically finding your leader within and using empowerment strategies to figure out what your leadership quotient is because we're all clinical leaders, whether we like it, whether we don't like it, whether we think we are, whether we think we're not. And so we have offered that to the regions and affiliates for their fall and even spring meetings. If they want to take us up on that, some member from the board will present that either virtually or in person. And so it's very important to me as a professional nurse to empower other people about leadership and career development and all those things. And so I don't know if I have, quote, an agenda yet. There are so many things that are important to me, but that's top on my list if I have one is empowering other people to be better leaders and to really connect with the leader within because we have seen with this pandemic, we can be called on at any moment to do just any amount of things. And so if we're not tapped into the fact that we really do have the ability to do that based off the experiences we've already had, and if we don't provide to our members a way to hone those skills, then I think that we have fallen short. So it is on my radar and a very strong passion in my heart in general to help people become empowered in finding their place in their career, finding their place as a leader, whatever that means. And so those resources that live plus this new PowerPoint, this new educational session is going to help. After we've made the rounds, I think, of the regional affiliate meetings, I'd like to make that part of a living and breathing thing on our website. So I hope we can do that. That hasn't been discussed anywhere. So that could have been just a presidential decision right there. Who knows? And I think that the more we can do about that, the better, because I think people are hungry for that. You know, when I was, I'm doing my research on that mentorship PowerPoint, gosh, there are no shortage. There are no shortages on how to be a leader and who stole my cheese and who took my shoes and who hung up my clothes and do I make my bed or not? And so, you know, that is overwhelming. And so trying to streamline those resources to our members and make them palatable in a way that makes sense, that is very useful to them is a goal of mine. That'll be great, I think, too, because it's specific to the WOC role and it's not just leadership of life, right? So what advice would you give to a new WOC nurse who might be interested in getting involved in the society in terms of some type of volunteer position? Get involved now. (laughs) Do it right now. Do it right now. Use my email, dkenwoc, and we'll make sure you plug in. How much time do you have, right? Yes, yes. What would you like to do? And are you open to new experiences? Yes, we want to use volunteers. So there are a lot of different things. 
I know sometimes it seems like that people put their name in for the call of volunteers and they feel like nothing happens. But I think that we are at a point right now in our society where there is a lot of work to do. And so any new or old, seasoned, mature WSU <laughs> nurse who would like to get involved should definitely make that known. So you know what? The best way to get involved is at your region and affiliate level to get there first, because that's going to give you the ability to establish relationship with people right there in your neck of the woods. You need those regional relationships, those local relationships, so that when you have a question, they're in the same time zone <laughs> and they can, they can readily answer your question if you're a WOC nurse, especially a, a new WOC nurse, but even seasoned WOC nurses need advice. And so I think starting at the region and affiliate level is where you build your resources and your relationships. And I think that when you start to get your feet really wet and become more comfortable in the WOC role and you start to become involved with the society, I'll tell you what, being with the society has afforded me opportunities that I never would have dreamed that I would have ever had, has afforded me the ability to meet people I never would have met before, and the ability to have my life enriched forever in ways that I never would have imagined possible. And so my first volunteer position <laughs> was that of, I was in charge of the newsletter. I think that they probably gave me that because I kept saying, what can I do to get involved? And in those days, the newsletter was typed on a typewriter. And so that involved a lot of whiteout and a few curse words. <laughs> and then I'm not sure it was right. You know, mailing them, putting the labels on them, taking them to the printers. I think it was probably because they thought if this chick will do that, then she will probably do just about anything. <laughs> so I encourage you to get involved, no matter how small the task looks, how arduous it is. You know, I'm a proponent of this principle. If you just plug in somewhere, even if you don't necessarily know if you're going to like that, I think just the act of starting to serve shows you where you can serve and shows you what your desires and passions are and helps lead you in the right direction to serve. And so just do it to borrow from someone we may or may not know. Just do it. Just get involved, start serving. And I think that you will find that you end up in a really great place. Wow, that's great. All right, I've kept you a long time and I know you probably have a zillion emails. So tell me, is there anything else that I should have asked you that's important here that we should talk about today? You have asked me a lot of really great questions. I can't think of any more questions, but I do just really want to say for real, not a sunshine blow up your skirt kind of girl. So I really do want to hear from folks. I really want to hear what's going on around the country. I really want to be able to answer questions. I want to get people to the right resource. So please, my virtual door is always open. And so I really, I'm so excited to serve the organization in this way. I'm so so honored to be able to do that. And I want to make the most of this opportunity and really see what we can do to make a difference. And I'm so sincere in that. So I want to thank you for your time, Jody, and thank you for letting me say a few things and ask me those questions. And hopefully people can see that I am such a real person, not some stuffy whatever. This is pretty much what you get. And I am so excited to be able to do this. I feel so lucky and so blessed. And so thank you for letting me say a little bit today. 
Well, I'm so glad to have you. And I'll reiterate your email in closing at dkent at wocn.org if people want to reach out to you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Walk Talk. Please visit wocn.org slash podcast for additional details about this topic and the speakers. You can also get more information about subscribing to this podcast so you never miss an episode and to get the latest news and information from the WOCN Society. Again, that's wocn.org slash podcast. We look forward to having you join us for the next episode of Walk Talk. Walk Talk.